Welcome to TBT with Grace and Emma, a podcast on the millennial generation and how we came to be. I'm Emma. And I'm Grace. On this week's episode, we look at the impact of interactive technology, aka Alexa, on multiple generations. We introduce our new segment, Lies My TV Told Me, and we check out a millennial in the news for being sued by his parents. Womp womp. (laughs) Glad to have you here. Thanks for listening. Emma, congratulations uh, to all the listeners out there. Emma had a great week. She just finished Mm. up a big presentation for our master's program. Congrats. Thanks. Well, Grace really set the bar really high by going first and just having like such an amazing convergence of Vocal presentation along with excellent PowerPoint skills. Oh, Let me stop. tell you, if you want someone to do a PowerPoint for you, go to Grace Fowler. Talk about a side hustle. Yeah. You can make PowerPoints for people, and you could probably charge, like, 20 bucks an hour. I'm pretty sure part of my job is just making good PowerPoints, so I will actually be getting paid to make PowerPoints in my job. Great. Yeah. Set up for success. <laughs> But good to know, employer. Yeah. Okay, so can I say that you got a job this week? Yeah. Well, we'll cut it if we want to. No, no, no. You can say it. Okay. Two weeks from now. Grace got a job this week, everybody. Only one of us is unemployed. You know, I'm feeling very, potentially by the time this airs, who knows where you'll be at. Mm. I will not have a job in two weeks. The job market rate, it just, it's so, people take a very long time to figure out whether or not they want to hire you. It's true. It's very frustrating. Although your process was pretty quick. It was Seemed over quick. the course of three or three and a half weeks, maybe. Yeah. But hey, you but hey, did it. I did it. You came out the other end. And thrilled, just like over the moon. So. Mm. PowerPoint's right and left. Yep. Look out, world. <laughs> you need a PowerPoint, you come to me. But oh. also, Emma's power- Emma literally matched her PowerPoint, so. In my outfit. Yeah. It was easy because I have a yellow blazer. And so I made the PowerPoint. Well, no, it was more than that. Really, it was like an excellent coincidence. So I gave my PowerPoint presentation today on the end of, on my final project for our master's program, as Grace said. And I'm, um, for all the Berkeley High listeners out there, I'm still hung up on that school. Hashtag Beehive Pride. Um, so much so that I did a lot of work investigating it for my master's thesis, and so my my project was about high, uh, Berkeley High, which is where I went to high school. The color of my school, the colors of the school are um, a beautiful primary red and yellow, which just yeah. like obviously always looks stunning. Um, our PE uniforms were like particularly flattering, <laughs> and um, I happen to own one blazer which happens to be yellow, which is not the color that I normally go for. In fact, I got it on sale at J. Crew like the week before. I know my wine, my ice in my wine <laughs> is clinking. No shame. 
I got this yellow blazer like at J Crew like the week before grad school started, and I went to J Crew with my mom, and I wasn't really looking for anything, and it was on the rack, and it was one of or the sale rack, and it yeah. was one of those where someone orders it online and then they return it to the store, so they didn't even have oh. any more. It was magic, and it wow. was a six petite, Meant to and be. it fit me, and it was super on sale, and then they were having like a sale on the sale. Yeah, I want to give a real shout out to petite section. Mm. You know, I yeah. am not, I am not, I am like an average weight, but very short. And I think as a result, I am so grateful for clothes that accommodate my, my shrunkenness. Totally. Yeah. Petite section is so real. Yeah. Or like a, a jean that's short. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have to do that as well, but these sure stubby do. ham hocks gotta <laughs> need a special kind of jean. Uh, as Grace and I mentioned in the last episode, we're both barely skimming five five. I'm yeah. not even there. I'm, I'm, I made it past five four and was like, okay, job done. <laughs> Good for you. Oh, I know it was yeah. a nice moment. Um, Great. So yeah, so it's been a big, it's been a pretty big week for both of us. And um, in that week, we're recording this, this episode, the week that we also launched our first episode of our podcast, which you can listen to now on SoundCloud, Lincoln Bio, Lincoln Bio. And (laughs) who's Lincoln Bio? (laughs) (laughs) Who's TBT? (laughs) Who's Jenny? Who's Gun? hashtag i made it tbt w for with or maybe i spelled out with tbt with g and then i spelled out and and then e and after like posting it i read it over a couple times and it was like this now reads like tbt with gonda <laughs> who's gonda yeah uh, and also like when gons launches their own podcast <laughs> we definitely don't want to step on their toes but we should definitely have a crossover episode yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> so anyway, uh, link in bio, you just give us a call too, okay? I'm also just like, I'm a little tired because it's been one of those... Oh, that was, sorry, that <laughs> sorry, Oh my god, jam, jam box over here, trying to say something. Power oh my god, down. I have so many things to say. One, I'm a little tired because like... It was just one of those weeks where, like, I wasn't, like, intentionally staying up late, but I just, like, had a lot of, like, adrenaline, so I was going to bed late because it just took me a little bit longer to fall asleep, and I was waking up early because I just, like, wanted to get up and, like, get moving, so I've just had, like, not a ton of ton of sleep, which is totally fine. The other thing I wanted to say was, like, I read another, a headline of another article today, we should look it up, in New York Magazine, where Alexa, like, recorded a couple's conversation and then (gasps) sent it to a stranger? Oh my god, Alexa is fully gone rogue. Alexa has fully gone rogue. She's like laughing out of nowhere. She's trying to ruin your life by sending your fights to people. Why does Alexa do this? Oh no, you know what? We're going to have to be careful because as John Lovett points out on his podcast, when he says the word Alexa, which he now bleeps out, Sometimes it'll like. Oh, it triggers! It activates Alexa. It activates Alexa. She who must not be named. (laughs) Oh my god. Wow. Are you reading the article about it? This is another article called Your Worst She Who Must Not Be Named Nightmares Are Coming True. (laughs) Oh, Lexi. We'll just start calling her Lexi. Yeah, Lexi. You know, 
I was at home for Christmas, and I was... <laughs> you were at home. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. What? <laughs> Don't come for me. Don't at me. So I, was, I think, like, I'm starting to just, like, not understand language very well, because I've, like, <laughs> when you give a presentation and you think oh, through what yeah, you're going to yeah, say so yeah. many times, you're like, that doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. Gone. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you, when um, you were home... Yeah, my dad is the kind of person who voice records all of his text messages and emails, so you'll... Like you'll, a true baby boomer. Yeah, like, you have to, like, decode all of his text messages. The other day, it sent ass instead of ask, <laughs> and so I was like, Dad, you're, you're exactly the demographic of Alexa. Like, baby boomer, white men who can't even, like, who just need to be like, hey, you... <laughs> <laughs> Give me the information I need. With you know? your slippies and your silk robe <laughs> and your cigar in your hand. Alexa, he's Alexa, like, fetch me the morning news. Re- I was going to say he's reading the paper and it's like, no, 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 this can't be true. Alexa, what's the stock market <laughs> doing today? Um, oh, and then Alexa. So and I was, paid. Yeah. So I was like, Dad, you're exactly the kind of, you're the demographic of who they're pushing Alexa towards. And he literally reaches into his bag and pulls out an Echo Dot and is like, no kidding, I just received this from my work colleagues for Christmas. <laughs> and then he, I will find the audio and play it here of him trying to have a conversation with Alexa. Mm. And he has this etiquette problem where he's like, hey, Alexa. <laughs> pause. And wait for her to respond saying like, yes, John. <laughs> Like, he doesn't, he's so polite that he doesn't get that you have to say, you just go into it. You say, like, hey, Alexa, what's this? But instead, he wants to say, hey, Alexa, and then have her affirm that she hears him. Oh, wow. Alexa, are you listening to me? Hi, I'm here. I start listening when I hear the wake word. That's the wake word. Yeah, wake. Wake up then. <laughs> Do you think that Alexa is going to cause us to change our speech patterns over time? To be a little bit more rude? Or pert? I don't know exactly how, but, like, do you think that we're going to start using the way that we interact with AI as our default rather than the way that we interact with humans as our default? Like, the inversion ratio? Mm. Like, you're going to spend more time interacting with AI, so when you go to start interacting with normal humans, normal humans, with humans, you're going to actually, like, use the kind of, like, intonations and verbiage that you're used to using with AI? Yeah. What do you think? Well... I actually think it might happen, especially given the way that education is moving, where, like, more and more AI is being integrated into classrooms. I think Mm -hmm. it's going to be really interesting to see how that affects our human-to-human interaction. Yeah, and that idea of individual, like, personalized learning, Mm -hmm. where you would have, theoretically, this sort of... What did I do? I did a... hmm. Oh. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's fine. Okay. Um, So, in personalized learning... The, I think that's a goal that tech is working towards, right? How do you individualize education? And as part of that, I would imagine that having those tools could probably really influence if a student is interacting individually with a tool that has a certain type of conversation. Like, is it that we're going to try to make AI sound the, as much as possible like humans? Or is it that we're going to switch to start talking in a way that AI best understands to each other as humans. Yeah, I mean, my question to that is, like, which humans, right? That, like, how are we, like, we have such different dialects still, even though, 
for the most part, at least in the U.S., there's this idea of, like, standard English, sort mm. of, like, trumps all. But, like, we know that despite that, there's still so many different dialects and ways of speaking and colloquialism. So, like, if indeed we are starting, we do start to become influenced by AI-generated language, like, who's going to be programming that language? And then what, I mean, obvi- I mean, I can sort of, like, make the assumption that it's actually going to... Um, uphold certain normative ideas of what language is that aren't yeah. going to reflect the values and the ways of speaking that are representative of a lot of different people and communities. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, the same thing happened with TV. Like, people started watching TV, and that, I think... I'd have to look up the research on that, but I think TV, from my understanding, really normalized certain ways of speaking, and I think it actually, like, impacted the change, the evolution of the change in dialects. Because if we think about the different accents and ways of speaking mm-hmm. that existed even just like across different regions of the US how much that was eradicated with the advent of the television and with generations that grew up with TV as a formative part of their childhoods fascinating we have so many things to talk about yeah and now i love i i mean i don't love it obviously that this poor couple had alexa sending their argument <laughs> i but do but i do think it's you deserve just, it well i just think it's this sort of hilarious like these growing pains are kind of hilarious mm-hmm. and also this con- there's so much concern around privacy and yet we're bringing in these microphones into our house to be like <laughs> answer sure. all my questions i don't know do you remember the first time that you realized that your phone was listening to you um i've definitely had like conversations about things and then ads have popped up yeah that was jarring yeah I remember... And then I, I was, was like, ooh, I want to buy this. Thanks for listening. Oh, my <laughs> no, God. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Stop. <laughs> Don't do that. Although, I will say, I am I feel like we're less vulnerable. My mom, mm. oh Corey, my God, these poor love you. baby boomers. She, she is so susceptible to Instagram ads, and they know her so well that she, like, she was the first person to get all birds. She was totally on that bandwagon because mm. it came up in her news feed and she bought it. She's always sending me ads. She sends me ads. Corey, I love you. But, you know, you're, oh, wow. you're exactly who they're targeting. And it's so strategic, and she's clearly exactly who has this capital to make buying those ads worth it. Yeah, should we be thinking about the benefit of that? Like, I feel like the tone in this conversation is, like, very critical. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm very critical of technology, both because that was how I was raised, was to be very skeptical, and also because I've, like, sort of adopted, like, an anti-capitalistic view. But I don't know. I also think, does it, is it a convenience thing? Like, who is it mm. helping? I mean, these are things that, like, maybe I need to think about a little bit more, but I'm trying to, like, be critical of, like, our gut reactions and think yeah. about, like... I don't know. Like, where is that really... I think contextually, it's really different. And I think it's fucking brilliant. Well, yeah. And I think it there's there's something... Like, it's worth acknowledging that the, the minds behind a lot of this work, which I think, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm not sure of, of who those people are that are pushing this sort of programming. I think we could just walk up the street to Atherton and find them. Yeah, I bet just you're Just start, right. like, knocking on doors. Yeah. I mean, we're in the heart of Silicon Valley. It's literally everyone that we bike past on the way to campus. <laughs> in their Teslas. Yeah. They all drive Teslas. We've been thinking a lot about 
the role of teenagers that we saw on television as young people. What was on TV, what was in the movies that projected the teenage experience that we saw. And we're calling this segment Lies My TV Told Me. Sneak peek into how we feel about it. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I'm really excited to talk about this. I also will say that I'm one of those children that grew up without cable and without a lot of access to TV. So a lot of my understanding of TV was either secondhand or came from watching TV with um, friends. I had TV for a, I had cable for a year when I was in eighth grade, and then I did watch a little bit more TV when I was in high school. But yeah. like people are like Saved by the Bell, and I'm like Zach Morris, and that's like all I got. Yeah, I actually have never seen Saved by the Bell. Great. Either. Sounds like we're not going to talk about it. No, but um, we can also talk about the romantic comedy genre mm-hmm. and just you know the she's all that. Yep. Yep. Of the world oh. and all of the other attempts to recreate Taming of the Shrew. Mm. <laughs> Watched multiple times on VHS. So actually, let's start there. Mm -hmm. And one of the lies that my TV told me was that someone will taming of the shrew me. (laughs) (laughs) Treat me like shit in trying to change me and then fall in love with me. (laughs) Freddie Prince Jr., still waiting on you. There's that. There's 10 things I hate about you. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think that there was this narrative that you know, some jockey dude is going to see this art person and there's some process through which these two different worlds meet. Mm -hmm. Bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, also, like, was it bullshit? Like, yes, of course it was bullshit, right? Like, it truly was. But I'm really curious. I don't know. I'm really curious about, like, archetypes in high school Mm -hmm. and who fits into these certain categories. And then, yeah, there is this element of, like, waiting for the person to see past whatever it is and see the true you. And I actually would argue, I didn't date in high school, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But I think one of the reasons was because I was waiting for a moment for someone to, like, see me for me or see beyond Mm. the superficiality. Now, of course, like, she's all that mm, involves, like, a dramatic makeover. Yeah. But there is sort of, like, this point underneath it that, like, ultimately it's about finding... I don't know. I guess maybe I'm maybe interpreting it differently than others. Yeah, I guess for me it's a matter of the shrew character being first of all please keep saying that word but that whole idea of like it's the difficult woman oh yeah it's the julia styles who's alternative and independent and the whole crux of it is that of course she's not popular Mm -hmm. she's a shrew but she's also the hero of the film i completely agree it's fraught I'm just saying, like, for me, and maybe this is just, you know, not the best example, but for me, I I learned from these, and I think it happened in Clueless a little Mm -hmm. bit, even Mm -hmm. though that's also based off of another story, Emma, um, by Jane Austen. It's this idea that it's a joke to the jocks. Yeah. That anyone would be interested in this alternative girl. Yeah. 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 
I think that is really problematic for sure. But what I loved about She's All That, I just love that movie. Even though she, like, where, where, there's that part where she gets her eyebrows plucked by Freddie Prince Jr.'s sister, and then she falls down the stairs. Like, all of that is, like, kind of fucked up. But I do love that in the beginning, she is so bold, and she does that, like, very interpretive dance, which is also, like, quite problematic, I think, in some ways, but... She has this, like, really interpretive dance, and Freddie Prince Jr., like, sees it, and he's kind of, like, captivated by it, or at least, like, intrigued by it. But there is something that I that I think was ultimately heroic about her in a way that she... It still demonstrated images of a, of a, a woman, girl, young adult, who was very confident in who she was. And she didn't play the game... But she was cast as a heroine. That's and, true. And she made some... I mean, she she participated in upholding the patriarchy by donning the, the silky red dress with the spaghetti right. straps and getting, you know, the hair and the makeup done, like, for sure. Um, but also, I don't find that in and of itself problematic either, necessarily. Yeah. Though, I think the conditions under which she made that switch are definitely not ideal for implanting in a, in a young person's head. Yeah. Okay, I have another one. Okay. Um, high schoolers, they look like they're 30 <laughs> because they're played by 30-year-olds. And I'm 30, and I look like a high schooler. <laughs> wow. So the TV, so have it. TV show actually didn't lie to you. Mm. The TV did not lie. Um, I'm thinking, like, the cast of the OC as an example, right? Right. Where you look at the screen and you think, wow. Mm. When I'm 16, <laughs> I am a fully grown adult. Um, not that you're not fully capable of deep adult thought, but you're Grace not Grace thinking look of like... all of the high school students she used to work with being like, don't Fuck worry, you, don't worry. <laughs> no, I you're, mean that. You're fully capable. You're a full human being. Yes. Yes. You are a full human being and... You don't look like you're 30. Right. <laughs> it's true. You also don't look like you're grown. I mean, I remember when the OC came out, and I was so disappointed because the casting of Ben McKenzie as Ryan was, it felt a little like a betrayal. I remember thinking about, about Ben McKenzie, and he just was, like, so obviously not on the same level as the other boys that I went to high school with. Now, like, Adam Brody, I think Adam Brody was, like, 19 or something when they cast him in the show. Uh So he, like, totally, he had, like, the skinny, scrawny, like, awkward, funny, kind of look. And, like, honestly, Ben McKenzie just truly looked like he was 45 years old. (laughs) And I felt really betrayed because, it, you know, it's really... I really love television as a way to just dive into fantasy. Yeah. And when there's a part of the fantasy that doesn't feel right, it betrays the whole thing, and you can't fully embrace it and enjoy it. And I'm fine with having a crush on Ben McKenzie from afar if he's playing a hot, even college student. Yeah. Because I wasn't surrounded by college students. I didn't really know what they looked like. You could have passed a 45-year-old off as a college student. I probably would have known better. But... As a high schooler, I was like, mm, this doesn't feel accurate, and therefore the entire premise of this show feels kind of fantastical. Mm. And yeah. it felt a little, um, 
I think at that time I felt betrayed by the producers because I was like, you all know that this is not what a high schooler looks like. And yet you're still trying to get us to buy in even while casting someone that like clearly doesn't align with our demographic in terms of appearance. I think what it does for me or what it did, um, and is maybe the important tie here is that like, cause it still happens without a doubt. It still happens that people are cast and they tend to be a little bit older and, and that's just how it is. But I think that as a young person, seeing what I interpreted as adult, you you naturally internalize that. You look at yourself and think, like, I can't see myself as a teenager until I appear <laughs> to be very mature. And I think especially young women, there's all of these forces that, like, underestimate you along the way. And so for me, who looked young and uh, who was navigating watching this type of stuff on TV, just feeling like I have to really, really be an adult now. Mm-hmm. I got to look it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It put a lot of pressure on how we, on our appearances. Yeah. And it's not just the OC. Mm-hmm. No. It's all of these romantic comedies that take place in high schools. You know what was true, though? Ben McKenzie was to the fictional OC what Jason was to the real OC Laguna Beach. Do you remember Jason? Did you ever watch that show? Did I watch that show? <laughs> Jason Let with the, the full fall down. with the full beard. He was like 18 yeah, years old and he was so a true. man. Yeah. He was also completely adult. No offense, Jason. Oh, Joey Fatone look alike. Oh my gosh, right? Dan Ringer. Right? Mm, Joey wow. Fatone would play Jason in a movie. Or <gasps> Jason would play current Jason. Joey Fatone would play Jason 10 years out. With this logic, when Joey Fatone was popular in the early thousands, he could have played Jason on TV. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sorry, and we could have we could have created a new character. Instead of being Angelo again, he could have been Jason. You know, a much more neutral <laughs> ethnic name. <laughs> Another millennial has made the news. Yep. This week we're going to talk about Michael Rotondo shot into fame and infamy because his parents are suing him to get them out of his their house. <laughs> um, so we're going to play you the audio clip, just a piece of the CNN interview that, that seems most compelling to us, and then we're going to chat about it. Enjoy. Michael? I'm really not. Uh, sure. But, sure. Yeah, the, la- the last piece of this, though, Michael, and this is really my last question. There are a lot of people who have read about your story, and the, the thought bubble is what is up with this millennial generation that you guys seem so entitled? What would you say to, to those critics? I would say that I'm really not uh, a member of that of that demographic that they're speaking to, of that group. I'm a very conservative person. The millennials that they're speaking to are very liberal in their ideology. Um, But you're 30, so technically I think you are part of the millennial. 
generation. I don't think there's a delineation right. between. You're you're right. Um, but uh, when people speak to the millennials uh, and their and the their general nature as a millennial, they speak to more liberal leanings. In my opinion, so, do you do okay. you disagree? Um, I don't think it's for me to disagree. I think a millennial is a millennial is a millennial based upon the, the year that you were born. Okay. But I think it's totally your opinion to say, you know, that that doesn't uh, uh, apply to me. And, and with that, Michael Rotundo, I appreciate you coming on. I truly wish you the best of luck. And, and I am a millennial. And, yes, Michael. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is, of course, the story of a 30-year-old man who will not leave his parents' house, and his parents have taken him to court um, to evict him. And just for context, this is an this is an interview on CNN or sorry, yeah, CNN with Brooke Baldwin, um, and this is an exceptional person regardless of their generational identity. Mm -hmm. My guess is that he feeds so perfectly into these preconceived notions of millennials. Mm -hmm. That, of course, we're elevating this individual who's experiencing, like, a whole bunch of shit. Yeah. To the point of, like, this is newsworthy. This is classic. Right. Millennials again, you know what I mean? Indicative and I, of a larger trend. So, yeah, and our friends at the Pew Research Center, we love, we love us we some love Pew. We love the Pew. They really, they really get what type of data we need for our stories. <laughs> They say that, um, so there are 5.5% of men ages 25 to 35 are unemployed, which is one percentage higher than the overall average for men in terms of the unemployment rate. And then 36% of older millennials without jobs are living at home. Yeah. So because we know that Michael is unemployed, he is within over a third of men in his situation who are 25 to 35, who are living at home. Yeah. He's not alone. He's not alone. Ooh, communal living. When can we get that back? Is that back yet? Like Have we brought it back? Living in a commune? <laughs> no. That's not what you're saying. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> no, I think it is. Sorry, I just got done watching Wild Wild Country, so it's like, obviously, communes <laughs> are all the rage. Top of mind. No, yeah, it's some sort of, like, communal living... This has already been tried. Okay, Berkeley, with your communal <laughs> living. Michael just moved to Berkeley. We'll take care of you. We probably won't, because it's all becoming yes. just a vast inequality Are you kidding gap. me? Michael moving to Berkeley with his conservative <laughs> ass would be so uncomfortable. I think he would just purely turn into one of those people who goes from like being very, very far right to very, very far left really quickly. You know, it's like the people on either end of the spectrum. Okay. Wait. Sorry. Does that happen? Oh, yeah. Who yeah. go from being very, very far right to being very, very far left. That's, a, that's a, a pattern. I think that's a thing. I don't know how, I don't know statistically how frequently it happens, but I know that like people who feel very, very strongly in their views, oh. if they change their views, they become very, very strong the other way. It's like, oh, interesting. you know, yeah. it's like when people are like libertarian and then they're like, but go Bernie. And it's like, but those two things, like, even though I get the oh, overlap. Oh, yeah. It's like, but yeah, those two yeah, things yeah. are inherently at odds in so many, like, like, on-the-ground policies. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand. I get, I get that there are some overlaps. Sure. 
sure. No, no, I, I totally get that. Okay, that's really helpful. Like, extreme in both ways. Right. Because even farthest of left is still a pretty extreme. I wonder if it's, like, more like a circle instead of a line. <laughs> <laughs> if you just keep going far enough, you'll just reach the other side. Yeah. It's, like, just cross the, what is it, the Bering Strait? Yeah. <laughs> and then suddenly you're like, I'm in Alaska. <laughs> Michael, <laughs> Michael, <laughs> just come across the Bering Strait. You'll end up in Berkeley, and it'll be for the better. I promise. No, I do think it's really his. I I just don't want us to miss this this conversation around liberal identity versus conservative identity, and that he's able to shrug it off because he's a conservative, and so therefore you mean shrug off the millennial identity? Yes. Yeah, I think that is such an interesting element of this. Yeah. Who else is trying to hide? We're coming for you. <laughs> Fully but surely we'll find you. No rock will be unturned. God. Well, I also, like, think about Michael's defensiveness to not being a millennial. Yeah. And I think about the way that I was, like, so defensive against Paula's attacks on millennials. Yeah. He and I just, like, lie on different ends of the spectrum. But we both feel like a lot is at stake with who's opting in and opting out of this generation. I know that I'm personally planning on moving back in with my parents after grad after grad school before I find a job. So hard pressed for me to criticize this guy right now. I think right now we're living in a culture of conflict, mm. in a culture of pettiness, quite frankly, where every little thing is grounds for lashing out at someone else. We're not really modeling reconciliatory mm. behavior right now. And yeah. I don't know what's going on with Michael, but he himself declared himself not to be a liberal. And liberals are definitely, definitely being kind of whiny and argumentative right now, for sure, in a lot of ways. But when you look at, from the top-down approach, if you consider sort of our elected leader to be the top-down, our president is picking fights with everyone. Yeah. And so is it surprising? It's not particularly surprising to me that someone who considers themselves to be conservative will take their parents to court. Right. Because our president has been in and out of court for the duration of his professional and adult life. I just don't want to miss this, this, the, the huge central part of this preposterousness is the whole narrative is revolving around Michael. Yep. But his parents are the ones that are suing him. <laughs> Yeah. And how did you frame it when you were talking about this? Oh, just, like, yeah. His, well, you were talking about how, like, millennials get shit on for being entitled. Right. And yet his parents are the ones suing him. Yes. But essentially they're suing him for entitlement. They're suing him because he's being entitled. To living with them. Yeah. It's like we, if, like, if you can get sued for being entitled. Right. We're going to, we're going <laughs> to. Get some blockage up in all that court system. <laughs> it's about to become your worst nightmare of that clogged drain up in there. If you thought affluenza was a was a good defense <laughs> in the early thousands, <laughs> do you not Is remember that, that kid that hit all those people? Yeah, and then got off on it or like got uh, a light, lightened Ethan sentence. Ethan from Texas. Damn, that's a good memory, girl. I don't know. I'm not sure that that's true. Okay. <laughs> Well, wow, know. I really thought this whole time that when they said affluenza, they were talking about the flu. <laughs> well, that's the point, is it sounds like it. <laughs> Not to be confused with influenza. Right. But yeah, it does, like, I wonder what this, what this precedent sets, you know? Like, 
what does it mean that parents have to hold millennials accountable via the court system? <laughs> Oof. Want to do your throwback of the week? Yeah. Okay, so here we are. At the time of this recording, we are about a week out from the royal wedding. And I know that the royal wedding meant or did not mean a lot or a little to a lot of people. <laughs> that really covers the whole spectrum <laughs> of feelings. People were like, I don't care, but I'm still going to w- w- wake up and watch it. Or people were like, I do really care, but I don't want to watch it. Or people were like, I do care, and I'm going to watch it. Or people were like, who is Meghan Markle? Yeah. It was, and everything in between. But one thing that I think about as someone who grew up in the 90s was, of course, the day that Princess Di passed away and um, thinking about how much her legacy has impacted the royal family and thinking about how much it's impacted the way that we perceive the women who have joined this royal family. I think it's really interesting that Diana had two boys and so in that it has been really about perpetuating this idea of the legacy of what Diana brought mm. to the royal family. And so every new bride that enters is compared to her in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. But I don't really want to talk as much about that because I just don't feel like I'm as as informed. I didn't really know her as a public figure when I was growing up. I knew of her. But I remember my dad, my brother, and I were picking my mom up from the airport. And we got in the car. And my mom... We turned on the radio, and they announced that she had died, and I remember my mom had, like, a very distinct reaction, and I had not really seen my mom have a reaction to a news event like that, nor had I known that she had any sort of, like, connection with Princess Di or even, like, thought twice about her, and that was when I realized the importance of her because my parents both are not really people to latch on to celebrity figures, and they're not really people to latch on to anyone who doesn't have some sort of import on the state of the world and so I remember in that moment just seeing my mom's reaction that that was when I realized how important that event was and so I've been thinking about that and um and just thinking about the ways that her legacy has really like been upheld in the past couple years as William and Harry have gotten married and and started to raise families yeah wow great throwback Mm. fascinating Thank you. Thank you. Mine's a little less serious, <laughs> although <laughs> not as tragic. Tragic in a minuscule way for me. Um, I My throwback of the week is um, Alex Trebek's mustache. <laughs> <laughs> mustache. Mustache. You can tell that Grace lived in the UK for a little bit because every once in a while she'll say mustache. <laughs> It's mustache, <laughs> like mustard, <laughs> like musketeer. I, I think it sounds more sophisticated. Oh, it sure does, but like, don't try to get away with the idea that it's the like, mustache is sophisticated. My mom still says trousers instead of pants. <laughs> she's at Marshall's like, look at all these trousers. Yeah, she's like, where are the trousers? And the people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about, lady. Um, love you, mom. Um, so... Alex Trebek, 
for years mm-hmm. growing up had a mustache. It was a defining characteristic. And then in 2001, he just shows up without it. And I really think that it's an important moment uh, in this sort of aesthetic change. Like, clearly, Alex thought, all right, this is the new millennium. Mm-hmm. I got to get rid of this mustache. Um, I just think that we, we all, all of us Jeopardy fans. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even say that. Alex Trebek is the host of Jeopardy. And uh, all of us Jeopardy fans remember the 2001 day that we, we realized that he had shaved his mustache off. And Wait, is this pre-9-11 or post? Whenever someone brings up 2001, it's just like, yeah. you know, like that was a year where like pre and post are so important. This is wild. If you Google, when did Alex Trebek shave his mustache? Pronunciation included. Oh, you're looking uh, at me to crack a joke. It's okay. <laughs> I'm mature enough not to make fun of your of your carried over, over colloquialisms and accents. Oh my gosh! Wait, wait the whole article. What? Okay. Apparently, the Jeopardy audience was influential in him in him deciding to shave it off. Um, at the beginning of the season, he took a poll. And I love that we really revitalized the mustache as a generation mm-hmm. to varying degrees of success. I'm not sure that I'm super on board with it. Alex Trebek no longer has a mustache, and mustaches are in, although I think that the, the rage is waning, but I've still seen a lot of mustaches. Yeah. Um, and I just think that it's facial hair that seems to have been really important to our generation and uh i just wanted to give recognition to alex and his mustache thanks al i I still miss it but i i respect your choice also bring me on jeopardy i would love to be a contestant i would love that what is mustache oh my god stop (laughs) and with that yeah um so feel free to email us at tbt Burp interrupts the email. <laughs> Keep it in, Grace. Keep Rude. it in. Um, Our so Gmail. Email us at tbt with G N E at gmail.com. At gmail.com. And in fact, follow us on Instagram. Same handle, tbt with the letter G, the letter N, the letter E. All right. And on that note, see you in a fortnight. See you in a fortnight. <laughs>